Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 182. So I'm recording this on May 9th, 2022. It is a beautiful but cold day here in Boston, actually about five degrees or so colder than usual. We're only in the 50s with a lot of wind. Um, however, it has been sunny for the past couple of days, and so I'm grateful for that. I am really a summer girl, so I am waiting for the warm weather, which apparently at the end of this week, it's going to be in the 80s. So anyway, now that we're done with the weather report, I first want to start out by just giving a huge shout out and thank you to anybody who has gotten in touch with me recently to say that they like the podcast or to tell me where they're listening. You know, they're listening on their dog walks or listening while they're driving in their car and, you know, just the information, the episodes are just really things that they're enjoying. So thank you so much for sharing that. And if you are listening and you've enjoyed uh, any of the episodes, definitely send me a DM on Instagram or send me an email and let me know what resonated with you, what you liked about the episode. And you can also write a review on iTunes. I actually don't check those. Um, however, I do know every once in a while I get an alert that somebody posted a review and that's always a nice way to get the podcast uh, a little more visibility so more teachers find it. So really, I don't care so much about that as much as I care about hearing from you. So definitely feel free to take a minute, send me a DM on Instagram uh, or send me an email and let me know that you're listening. So um, today I wanted to start out just by inviting you to class, especially because uh, number one, I'm teaching virtually and it's therefore something anybody can, can come to. And number two, uh, I've started to teach, I think I'm actually gonna keep this for a while. I've started to teach a regular class on Fridays that's really geared towards yoga teachers. And I'm running it kind of like the new format for my, uh, uh, monthly workshops. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. I recently did a workshop where I taught a 30 minute class. And then after it, I shared the anatomy rationale for several of the cues that I used in the class. And what I did in just my regular weekly class this past week 
is I sort of blended the two together. So as the students were practicing and, and the students in the class, in the class on Friday were, were teachers. And so as they were practicing, I was sharing with them kind of the behind the scenes in my mind of what the anatomy rationale was for the cue I was sharing. And this is something that can not only help you learn the anatomy, it can also help you sort of piece things together in the moment of practicing. It might give you new expanded ways to share what you already know. It might give you some ways to share some new things. I think the most important part though, is that it's really a way for you to understand the motivation, the intention behind the cue. And that's not always something that happens. I mean, think about how the majority of teaching is done. It's like, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that, without the why. And so the students, especially, I'm not talking action cues, because for the most part, those are really clear cues and pretty succinct. I'm talking more about anatomy-based cues. And, you know, I don't know about you all, but in my experience, in general, the primary rationale I would ever hear when someone shared an anatomy cue was a warning. Don't put your foot on your knee in tree because it's going to hurt your knee. Don't um, hunch forward in this posture because you could damage your shoulder. You know, all of these sort of warnings that, quite frankly, really sort of triggers the person's nervous system and starts them to be on high alert and think that there's something inherent in yoga that's dangerous. Now, that's not always the case. And I am definitely not here to say my way is right, other people's way are, is wrong, or to call people out. What I'm simply saying is that if you want to share the anatomy behind your cue, rather than sharing the danger and the warning, why not share the benefit? Why not share the reason? Why not teach people a little bit about their body? And I think in general, why so many teachers don't do this is because they're not sure. They're not sure of the why. And that's why they don't share it. And so this is why working with me and my signature program is totally different because it's all about helping you understand the why. First, by learning anatomy in this easy 10 key steps format, and then by working with me on coaching calls where we literally do that. We work out the why behind the cues on these live calls. So I wanted to just invite you to sign up for my online classes. If you can make the Friday class, that's generally when I'm going to do this teacher only experience. And that'll be Fridays at 9am Eastern, all times Eastern. So you can sign up for my classes by just going to my website, barebonesyoga.com. And right on the virtual class page, you will see the schedule for the week. I always post it on Sundays. And then every day, in my Instagram stories, I post the class of that day. So it's always something that you can see in my IG stories if you don't make it over to the website. So that's a great way for you to register as well. So today what I wanted to do is we're going to chunk out today's episode into two pieces. One is going to be an anatomy uh, component and one is going to be something more along the lines of personal development and kind of buckle in because <laughs> the personal development aspect of today's show is really um, 
it's really kind of a bold move. I kind of sort of hesitated of even going down this path, but then I figured, you know, what the hell, I have nothing to lose and everything uh, that I do is all uh, fused with my energy of wanting you and me to be the best possible that we can be, not only as teachers, but really in our lives, because the two are so intricately intertwined. So the first thing we're going to talk about is an anatomy um, theme or question, I guess you could say. And it came up recently in one of my coaching calls with one of the teachers who recently enrolled. And her question had to do with the SI joint. And she was saying that she had some concerns around whether or not in her own practice, as well as as she's working with people, it was, quote unquote, okay to have one hip higher than the other in twisting postures. And this she was relating to concerns about the SI joint, in part because of what she'd been taught, what she'd heard, what other teachers were saying, and also, honestly, in her own experience of recently practicing chair twist and the next day feeling some discomfort in her low back and connecting it to her approach to the posture, which really was focused on keeping her knees in line, keeping her legs together, her feet together, of course, and keeping everything really centered and trying to keep the hips level. So this is something that is a little bit challenging to discuss in just audio. This would really actually make for a great discussion in uh, a live workshop. So I'll probably include it in this uh, month's uh, workshop that I do. So stay tuned for that. You'll be able to sign up for that on my website in the next week. Um, however, I'm going to give it a shot to kind of go through some of this uh, um, right out of the gate here on the podcast. So let's just first all get on the same page with respect to the sacroiliac joint, because when I say SI joint, I'm talking about the sacroiliac joint. You probably knew that. The sacroiliac joint is the connection, i.e. the joint, right? A joint is a connection between two bones. It's the connection between the pelvic bone and the sacrum. And because we have two pelvic bones and one sacrum and the sacrum is in the middle, uh, the SI joint is not um, just one joint. There's two, one on each side of the sacrum. And if you take your right hand right now and take it and place it on the back of your body below your lumbar spine, below the curve of your lumbar spine, uh, you will feel the flatness of the sacrum. That's because when you look at the bone, the bone itself is a tri triangular flat bone. And at the base of the sacrum is the coccyx or the tailbone. And of course, above the sacrum is the whole spine, the whole thing, all the way up to the base of your neck. And the reason I'm sort of making that point is because in my opinion, so many of the concerns about the SI joint quite frankly, completely ignore that it's connected to the whole spine above it. And in fact, ask students to do things with their sacrum in a way that sort of ignores all the stuff they're doing with everything above it. 
And this is exactly the kind of microscopic view that, in my opinion, teachers have when they don't understand anatomy and they are simply teaching from what they're told to say. Don't let the sacrum move. Keep the lower back flat. Don't uh, let your students have one hip higher than the other. They're going to create hypermobility in their SI joint. You need to be concerned about students with hypermobility because it can create pain, it can damage all of these things. Have you heard these things? I want you to DM me if you've heard them. And so let's take a look at this because in the example I shared from this teacher, it was all coming out in uh, prayer twist, right? So you have people in chair, bring the hands to the heart center, twist to the right, twist to the left, all the while trying to keep the hips level. So let's take a look at that. So if I ask you to twist, so imagine you're in chair, so you're using your spinal extensors to straighten your spine, right? Keep the natural curves, but make the spine really tall and long. And now I'm asking you, bring your hands to your heart center and twist to the right. Take your left elbow past your right knee, take your upper shoulder back and then open your arms. So as you root down into uh, your feet and take your upper shoulder back, I'm gonna say it kind of the way I wouldn't say it. Can you keep your hips level? Don't let your right hip go higher than your left hip. Keep your hips level. If you want, and I would never say, I hate to, I don't want to sound inflammatory. I would not say this. However, this is sometimes what people have shared. Can you take your right hand and place it on your sacrum? Try to keep that level as you take your upper shoulder back. So if you can sort of envision this, now what we're essentially asking students to do is use their sacrum for stability. So twist your body. And at the same time, keep your lower back flat and your hips level. Now, I want you to imagine your spine is like a snake, <laughs> I guess in Kundalini, right? I think the spine is literally, uh, the metaphor is a snake. So the spine is like a snake and it's, you know, you know, the snake in the basket. So imagine the basket is your pelvis and the snake is your spine. So as that snake is coming out of the basket of your pelvis and it's turning and turning and twisting and kind of, you know, the, the person's playing the music, the flute and, you know, the spine, the snake is twisting and turning, but don't, don't move the basket. But the snake is in the basket. Yeah, but don't, don't move the basket. See, this is what I believe is the um, misplaced concern that if the pelvis moves somehow, I wish you guys were here to give me feedback on this. I don't know if you're listening to this and you're like, duh, no, no, no kidding, Karen. Or if you're thinking, oh my God, I, so really DM me with your thoughts on this. Um, because again, if we think of the SI joint as literally what it is, which is a joint, a joint is a movable connection between bones, movable. It's not a stable, I mean, some joints are more stable than other joints. Some joints are built more for mobility than stability. And yeah, for sure, the SI joint is built for stability. 
but it has a mobile quality as well. And no, it's not fun to have hypermobility there. However, if we're gonna ask you to twist the axis of rotation of your body, i.e. the spine, and at the same time, ask you to keep your hips level, that can create, I believe, undue stress on that joint because you're trying to create stability through a movable part. So the bottom line here, and I don't wanna harp on this more because I, again, I can't tell where you, where you all are at with this. In my view, the, the place to create stability is through the legs. So in your twisting triangle, in your twisted chair, in your seated twists, um, create the stability through the legs don't worry about one hip being higher than the other. Why is that a problem? Why do we think that's a problem? Someone DM me and tell me why that's a problem. Why is it a problem that one hip's higher than the other? Well, it's supposed to be even. I'm supposed to look at the person and in prayer twist, their knees are supposed to be in line. Yeah, sure. Their knees are supposed to be in line. But if we work with people in these rigid boxes and we tell them all these things about bad things are going to happen if they well, then they're just trying to fit their bodies into boxes and that doesn't make any sense, right? So again, keep in mind the alignment is there to have a guidance for our students. It's not there to create a rigid box that we're trying to shove the person into. It's not a rigid template, it's a dynamic template. And yes, for sure, you see somebody with their knees way off track in chair pose, uh, twisted chair, you're going to encourage them to get them aligned. You see somebody in twisting triangle and one hip is higher than the other. Well, as long as their feet are flat on the ground and they have the awareness of rooting into their legs, that's fine. One hip can be higher than the other. I don't know where that turned into an issue. Matter of fact, I was listening recently. I know I give regular shout outs to the Huberman Lab podcast, which is so fantastic. If you're not listening to that podcast, go listen to Dr. Andrew Huberman from Stanford. His show is amazing. And listen to the episode recently he did with Dr. Andy Galpin, who is, I believe, an exercise physiologist. He has, I know he has a degree in movement and I apologize. I don't remember his, his um, qualifications right here. Um, he was talking about on a recent episode about for so many people, the awareness, the lack of awareness is really the issue when it comes to movement. And in that episode, they were talking about techniques for exercise. You can, of course, put yoga in that basket, even though it's, I guess you wouldn't necessarily consider it exercise. It's got more of the spiritual side. However, movement, let's consider movement practice. The, the point is, the lack of awareness he was talking about <clears throat> as being for so many people, what's missing in creating good alignment in, in different movements that you might do in a fitness context. That absolutely applies to yoga teaching. For many of your students, when you see them out of alignment, it's not that they're not strong enough. It's not that they're not conditioned enough. It's that they're just not aware. I mean, when you go to class, are you always aware of what you're doing? No, you're probably thinking about that you're hungry or you have to go food shopping after class or whatever's going on in your life. And, you know, when you think about paying a personal trainer, what are you paying that person to do to stand there and tell you what to be aware of? Because you can't really be trusted to do it yourself. And what is yoga teaching in a way? It's sort of the same thing. We are the awareness 
right? We are the awareness of the students. Now I'm sort of simplifying it and I'm sort of exaggerating it just to make the point. The real thing that I want you to consider and go listen to Dr. Galp and talk about it. And, and uh, Andrew Huberman, Dr. Huberman does great note-taking. So you can literally look at the episode on YouTube and scroll through and you'll see he timestamps all the topics. So you can go right to this if you wanna just listen to this part. Um, so this idea of awareness, you know, your ability to bring up issues to help your students be more aware of their body is in a way, one of the best conditioning techniques you can do for them. And yes, there are gonna be some muscles that are gonna be underused and that are gonna be weak and you're gonna look for those misalignments, you're gonna correct them and it's an opportunity for them then to use that muscle actively. So that's a little bit about the SI joint. Um, I wanted to, to uh, bring that cue up, bring up cues like that, talk a little bit about the structure and function. Uh, get you, if, if it's helpful, thinking about the bigger picture when it comes to the SI joint rather than just honing in on the joint and not remembering that it's part of the whole body and it's connected to all the verte vertebrae above it. And if we're asking people to twist, they're most likely going to be twisting through their SI joint as well. So now we are going to take a little bit of a shift to talk about something different. And this kind of is a more of a topic in the realm of sort of personal development. And I'm a huge, huge personal development fan. I'm always looking for ways to be better. I've told uh, the story on this podcast before of about, gosh, at this point, it's probably about four years ago. I kind of got to the end of my rope in my business and my personal life. I was feeling like just sort of throwing the towel in on all of what I was doing as a yoga teacher and just going and getting a corporate job again. And I hired a neuroscience coach because I had heard that neuroscience was a really good way to be actionable with a therapist rather or coach rather than um, what many types of therapy do, which is more tell me about your past. And so I had hired this neuroscience coach and I, uh, in our first session, when she asked me what were some of the obstacles getting in the way of me achieving my goals. And I went into all my stories. Like it was almost like, remember those old cassette tapes you used to put in your car? It's almost like I just put the cassette tape in and I just let it rip. And I just went into story after story after story about reasons why I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing and wasn't having the results I wanted to be having. And after about five minutes, she just said, Karen, look, if you're going to continue on with all these stories, save your money, there's nothing for us to do here. The question is, are you coachable? Are you open to looking at things a different way? And it wasn't until she said that to me, because no one else was saying that to me, my boyfriend, my parents, they were all like, oh, that's so awful. Oh, I totally agree. And so it wasn't until I went to an objective person that that person sort of called me on my shit and I was faced with a choice. And it was in her doing that with me that I realized how valuable my work with her could be. And it turned out to be one of the best experiences I ever had. It was a huge fork in the road for me and my own personal development. And as I look back on that, I can see so much growth that came from that one experience um, that I would have never been able to um, take part in unless I had been willing, been willing to move forward. And this is really what this part is about. This part of the show, this part of the, of this episode, it's about 
that essential question, are you willing to move forward? Because let me tell you, friends, I talk to a lot of yoga teachers during the week between my DMs, my email, comments on social media, and I am always looking for opportunities to connect with teachers and talk with them. And I would say less than 1% of the teachers that I speak to actually follow up with me, meaning I get feedback from them. I get reach outs from them. And then when I reach out back and say, let's, some, let's set something up, they just vanish. They just ghost. And I'm always like, well, maybe it wasn't a problem for you, or maybe it's not a big problem, or maybe you're caught up in all the busyness of whatever it is you're doing. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of, I was listening to a podcast today. Um, uh, James Wedmore is one of my business coaches. I actually, when I say one of mine, he is really my business coach, but I work with him virtually and not one-on-one. -on -one, so <laughs> it's not really a personalized approach to working together. However, I've um, done, uh, I've gone to one of his conferences and he's a fabulous, fabulous podcast and a fabulous business coach. I actually do have now since February, a one-on-one -on -one business coach, uh, which he's, he's absolutely amazing. That's one-on-one -on -one. with James. It's something that is a little bit more diluted because I, I don't work with him individually. Anyway, uh, on his most recent podcast, he was talking about people who say they want to do things and they never follow up. And he was calling them looky looks. And he was saying like, these are the people that come to your free workshops and they want the free information and then they don't want to do anything further. And he was kind of, I think, describing them sort of as, you know, for whatever reason, like this is not about judgment. So if you find yourself getting defensive, don't get defensive. <laughs> It's not about judgment. This is about observing and learning and being coachable. If you're not coachable and you're not willing to look at yourself, then stop listening. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need you to listen. Uh, you know, I don't need you. To, I don't need you to do anything, right? There's no need in it. And that's another thing from a neuroscience perspective, the word choice that we use is always a tell. It's always a tell to our underlying motivation. Like when I talk to teachers and they say to me, oh, I should have gotten further along in uh, taking a look at the modules in the course between our last call and this call, I go, why? Why are you saying you should have? Where is this should coming from? Oh, well, I should have because, you know, I spent the money and, and, I, and I should have reviewed more modules, but I had all this stuff going on at home and I just haven't been, hey, look, you don't need to do this. You don't have to should this. This is something, talking about when they enrolled in my program, this is something that I want you to want to do. And there's no pressure on you to do it. So take should out of your vocabulary. What would it be like if there were no pressure? Like, what would that be like? I mean, honestly, friends, I watched 60 Minutes last night and it broke my heart to see the interviews they were doing with teenagers and the effects that the pandemic have had on them and the pressure that these kids are under. A lot of it, you know, coming from lots of different places and all the losses that they, you know, have experienced. And, and you know, quite frankly, in some ways, 
all of the talk of the losses. And in addition to that, what about saying, well, what would it be like, what would it look like if things were good? What would that look like for you? What would it look like if you felt happy? What would it look like if things were easy? You know, because oftentimes that's what it takes for us. It takes almost like what seems to be wishful thinking for us to get unstuck between where we are and where we want to be. Because let's face it, if you're always thinking about the problems, you're never going to move forward. So I wanted to share with you, um, there's going to be something very specific that I read to you. But before I do that, I want to share this, this story that sort of touches on some of the themes of what we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail in the last few minutes of this episode. And, um, you know, I lived in a neighborhood in Boston for 13 years, Charlestown. So there are many neighborhoods in Boston. There's the North End, the South End, Charlestown, Back Bay. I've lived in Back Bay. Anyway, I lived in Charlestown for about 13 years. And I worked as a teacher. I taught at Charlestown Yoga, which was right on Main Street. And there were many, many people from the neighborhood, obviously, that came to the studio. And it's a very walkable neighborhood. So most of the people that came to class, I knew from the coffee shop, uh, you know, what, just walking around, walking my dog, that kind of thing. And there was this guy that I would always see um, at the dry cleaners. Um, and I guess this must have been, why was I, oh, the reason I was at the dry cleaners, I'm like, because I never dry clean clothes, is because my dog at the time, Bailey Rose, loved Miss Mel. Miss Mel worked at the dry cleaners and she always gave Bailey Rose cookies. And so I was always in the dry cleaners every day and inevitably Mike would be there picking up his clothes because he he seemed to have like some kind of busy, fancy job and he was wearing suits and all of this and, you know, all of it. So I would always see with him, see him and he would say, uh, I'm going to come to yoga class. I'm going to come to yoga class. He never would come to class. And it was almost kind of like silly at this point because I was running into him so much and he would always say it. And I feel like saying, dude, you don't need to say that to me. You don't need to say it if you're like, I have no stakes in this game. And so one day I was at the studio and I opened the door. I don't know why someone would have knocked. Maybe I was just standing by the door and he was standing there with a woman who turned out to be his sister. And he had his baseball cap on backwards. He had basketball shorts on long, you know, the shorts that have like the preparation in them. And he was like, oh my God, I'm finally here. The only reason I'm here is because my sister made me come. <laughs> to class. Okay, fine, whatever. So we do the class. He's go, you know, raw beginner, limbs are flailing and he's doing it. And we get to the end and the baseball cap is on backwards the whole time. And we get to the end of class, they're in Shavasana and he falls asleep. I mean, fast asleep. His arms were bent at the elbows. So he was laying on his back with his elbows, with his elbows bent. So his palms were, his hands were just kind of hanging in the air there. His arms were at 90 degrees. His baseball cap was askew. He was sort of snoring even. And at the end of class, he came up to me and he's like, wow, 
I guess I really needed to be here. And I, I said, yeah, I guess so. Now, I will say he did not come back. I don't have a memory of seeing him regularly after that, which honestly, I was a little surprised because it seemed to be quite the impactful experience for him. The point of this story is that sometimes we don't really acknowledge what we need to allow us to move forward. And it sort of takes that sometimes sort of that crash and burn to get to the point where we're, we're willing to be coachable. And that was me in the example I gave you before. In some ways, you know, the fact that this guy had his sister nudge him into class, his body just took over and said, you know, if you're not going to give us what we, what we need as a body, we're going to just take it. We're going to put you to sleep. So with that, this leads us into the last part of this conversation. And I'm going to read you from um, a short excerpt from a really good book that I'm reading called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And you can follow Ryan on Instagram. He's a great follow. And he is uh, a former marketer for American Apparel. He's a young person. He's like 34. And at the same time, he's already done so much. He's written a number of books. He lives in Texas, I believe. He opened a bookstore. He has a very popular podcast. And I had heard about this book, The Obstacle is the Way, because a lot of the New England Patriots, including Tom Brady, had read it. And I always, um, in watching Tom Brady speak to the press and watching Tom Brady speak to his teammates, I've watched different episodes or different series on him. I've always been amazed at he never makes excuses, never makes excuses. You know, a lot of athletes you see and you hear all the excuses. Tom never makes excuses. He always takes responsibility. And so when I heard that he and his teammates had read this book, I went out and I got the book. And then I started to follow Ryan on Instagram. And he is a proponent of, a, of um, an ancient philosophical approach to life called stoicism. And I'm not going to go into all of what stoicism is. You can do your own research on that. And I'm certainly not saying fall in line with what stoicism says. I'm simply just giving you that background just so you know. And in this book, The Obstacle is the Way, it's sort of like, <laughs> if you were to read a book that could reach out and slap you in the face, that's what this book does. This, this book should really be called I'm calling you on your shit. <laughs> and if you're ready, keep reading. If you're faint of heart, don't buy this book. And so that's why I kind of hesitated to even go into this. However, I am dedicated to my own personal growth. And if you are too, then let's proceed. So um, I'm going to start out with just a short story because his book is really loaded with stories that come from history. And um, the really cool thing is he, he looks at these historical um, milestones and these, these points in history. Some of them have to do with 
the way different generals conducted themselves and their troops in war, some of them, and I'm not a big history buff, so I'm kind of learning a lot. And some of them are just stories about notable figures in history. And then from their stories, he goes into um, different lessons that we can pull from that. So this is a story about Amelia Earhart, which again, I did not know this story. So this is again, giving credit where it is due. The Obstacle is the Way is the book. Ryan Holiday is the author. And this is page 71. Amelia Earhart wanted to be a great aviator, but it was the 1920s and people still thought that women were frail and weak and didn't have the stuff. Women's suffrage was not even a decade old. She couldn't make her living as a pilot, so she took a job as a social worker. Then one day the phone rang. The man on the line had a pretty offensive proposition along the lines of, we have someone willing to fund the first female transatlantic flight. Our first choice has already backed out. You won't get to actually fly the plane and we're going to send two men along as chaperones. Oh, and guess what? We'll pay them a lot of money and you won't get anything. Oh, and you very well might die while doing it. You know what she said to that offer? She said, yes, because that's what people who defy the odds do. That's how people who become great at things, whether it's flying or blowing through gender stereotypes do. They start anywhere, anyhow. They don't care if the conditions are perfect or if they're being slighted because they know that once they get started, if they can just get some momentum, they can make it work. As it went for Amelia Earhart, less than five years later, she was the first woman to fly solo nonstop across the Atlantic and became rightly one of the most famous and respected women, people in the world. But none of that would have happened had she turned up her nose at that offensive or offer or sat around feeling sorry for herself. None of it could have happened if she'd stopped after that first accomplishment either. What mattered was that she took the opening and then pressed ahead. That was the reason for her success. Life can be frustrating. Oftentimes we know what our problems are. We may even know what to do about them, but we fear that taking action is too risky, that we don't have the experience or that it's not how we pictured it or because it's too expensive, because it's too soon, because we think something better might come along because it might not work. And you know what happens as a result? Nothing. We do nothing. Tell yourself, the time for that has passed. The wind is rising. The bell's been rung get started, get moving. We often assume that the world moves at our leisure. We delay when we should initiate. We jog when we should be running or better yet sprinting. And then we're shocked, shocked when nothing big ever happens, when opportunities never show up, when new obstacles begin to pile up or the enemies finally get their act together. Of course they did. We gave them room to breathe. We gave them the chance. So the first step is take the bat off your shoulder and give it a swing. You've got to start to go anywhere. Now, let's say you've already done that. Fantastic. You're already ahead of most people. But let's, let's ask an honest question. Could you be doing more? You probably could. There's always more. At minimum, you could be trying harder. You might have gotten started, but your full effort isn't in it. And that shows. Is that going to affect your results? No question. 
In the first years of World War II, there was no worse assignment for British troops than being sent to the North African front. Methodical and orderly, the British hated the grueling weather and terrain that wreaked havoc on their machines and their plans. They acted how they felt, slow, timid, and cautious. German Field Marshal General Erwin Rommel, on the other hand, loved it. He saw war as a game, a dangerous, reckless, untidy, fast-paced game. And most important, he took to this game with incredible energy and was perennially pushing his troops forward. The German troops had a saying about him, where Rommel is, there is the front. That's the next step, ramming your feet into the stirrups and really going for it. That's definitely not what they say about most leaders today. While overpaid CEOs take long vacations and hide behind email autoresponders, some programmer is working 18-hour days coding the startup that will destroy that CEO's business. And if we're honest, we're probably closer to the former than the latter when it comes to the problems we face or don't face. While you're sleeping, traveling, attending meetings, or messing around online, the same thing is happening to you. You're going soft. You're not aggressive enough. You're not pressing ahead. You've got a million reasons why you can't move at a faster pace. This all makes the obstacles in your life loom very large. For some reason these days, we tend to downplay the importance of aggression, of taking risks, of barreling forward. It's probably because it's been negatively associated with certain notions of violence or masculinity. But of course, Earhart shows that this isn't true. In fact, on the side of her plane, she painted the words, always think with your stick forward. That is, you can't ever let up your flying speed. If you do, you crash. Be deliberate, of course, but you always need to be moving forward. And that's the final part. Stay moving always. Like Earhart, Rommel knew from history that those who attack problems in life with the most initiative and energy usually win. He was always pushing ahead, keeping the stampede on the more cautious British forces to devastating effect. His string of offensives led to some of the most astonishing victories in the history of warfare. He got started early while the British were still trying to get comfortable, and as a result, he was able to seize what appeared to be an unstoppable advantage in some of the most uninhabitable terrain on the planet. He blew right through the bleak battlefields of North Africa with its enormous distances, blinding sandstorms, scorching heat, and lack of water because he never, ever stopped moving. So when you're frustrated in pursuit of your own goals, don't sit there and complain that you don't have what you want or that this obstacle won't budge. If you haven't even tried yet, then of course you will still be in the exact same place. You haven't actually pursued anything. We talk a lot about courage as a society, but we forget that it's most basic level it's really just taking action, whether that's approaching someone you're intimidated by or deciding to finally crack a book on a subject you need to learn. Just as Earhart did, all the greats you admire started by saying, yes, let's go. 
and they usually did it in less desirable circumstances than we will ever suffer. Just because the conditions aren't exactly to your liking or you don't feel ready yet doesn't mean you get a pass. If you want momentum, you'll have to create it yourself right now by getting up and getting started. Wow. Something about reading that to you out loud made it resonate with me so powerfully. So I would love to know where you're at right now because me just reading this into the electronic void is just so lacking. <laughs> so please let me know, send me DMs, let me know how this felt to hear this. Because honestly, friends, we're not fighting a battle. We're not the first woman trying to fly a transatlantic flight. However, for so many of us, there are things that we want to do as yoga teachers that we're not doing because we're afraid, because we have excuses, because we're letting all these other things get in the way. These are the things that I hear from yoga teachers when they sign up for my free stuff and I follow up with them. This is what I hear back when they come to my workshop when they ask for the replay and then I say, did you watch the replay? And they say, oh, I had this, I had that, I had this, I had that. I'm not saying that those are not valid things. And I definitely am not asking you to do anything you don't want to do. All I'm saying is if you show up halfway, don't expect anything. You have to play full out and to do it, it means it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to involve risk. Why do you think I have a 30-day money-back guarantee on my program? No other yoga teacher training program offers that. I offer it because I do it to take away the risk. And not one teacher who has ever enrolled in my program has ever asked to use that refund. Because once they take that step forward, they start to get results and that momentum builds. So think about what do you want to do? Where do you want to be as a teacher? What are the biggest obstacles you're having right now? What are the big challenges you're having right now? What's blocking you from getting where you want to go? And then send me a DM send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Let's set up a call and let's figure it out. So that's it. That's today's episode. I look forward to talking to you on next week's episode. Remember, I always record on Mondays and episodes always drop on Mondays. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening and namaste. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October, 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program, 
that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next step section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.